Welcome to the Fallon Forum, where we bring you independent voices and civil dialogue across the political divide. This is Ed Fallon. I'm your host, and we're coming to you from Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. Hey, if you value what we do, we could use your support. Visit the donations page on the Fallon Forum website, or if you run a small business or if you're with a nonprofit doing good work in the world, consider becoming a sponsor. And speaking of sponsors, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, that's Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Gateway's Cafe is open for dining, carryout, and delivery service seven days a week. They've also got great catering and floral services. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. And thanks also to Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines' East Village. Dr. Joel Westrom and his staff are fluent in both English and Spanish. The clinic is open from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Western Optometry. And thanks to the uh, Des Moines Irish Session for the bumper music of this program. So what have we got for you this week? Well, Charles and I will be discussing whether or not we're on the verge of another banking crisis or whether Silicon Valley was just a blip. Uh, Charles and I will also be talking about the Willow Project. That's uh, the big oil uh, deal that, um, that Conoco wants in Alaska. And, you know, we'll talk about whether the massive expansion of fossil fuel infrastructure planned uh, indicates conclusively that President Biden has chosen politics over climate science. Charles and I will also, as time allows, talk about Donald Trump's probable indictment, which may have already happened by the time you're listening to this program. Also, his possible arrest and how this could shake up the Republican primary. Uh, you know, on Monday, the New York Times went so far as to say, and I quote, Quote, if Trump is indicted, this week will be like any other in American politics. Uh, we'll see. And uh, for our farm and food conversation, Kathy Burns and I will be talking about um, SNAP benefits, the cuts in food benefits, even as prices for food are going up. But first, uh, joining Charles and I in the studio is Jeffrey Weiss. Uh, we're going to be trying to make sense of what many people feel is a senseless war in Ukraine. Uh, Jeffrey, welcome to the program. Thank you, Ed. And I know we've had you on this program before, not too long ago, in fact, but this is a very uh, critical issue. And uh, your assessment right now as to what needs to happen to bring about a resolution to this conflict. Okay, well, I mean, since the last time I was here, a number of things have happened, I think, uh, for the better. Um, Olaf Scholz, the uh, chancellor of Germany, uh, reportedly spoke to the president of Russia for about an hour on the phone uh, Emmanuel Macron has publicly stated that the um, that the president of Russia is um, willing to negotiate, or at least you know there is a path forward. Um, president Biden has said publicly that uh, his rhetoric has changed, uh, more leaning towards. Uh, General Milley, who said it's time to negotiate. Uh, Victoria Nuland has, has a different view. So really there's a battle going on in the administration right now between the neoconservatives and um, people like General Milley and others who are talking about uh, the time to negotiate. More and more people are seeing that militarily this war cannot be won by either side, that neither side is going to get what they want. So rather than an ongoing war where uh, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people uh, will die and maybe will end up at the same place, um, that, that there will be ceasefire negotiations. And really, I'll just end what I'm saying right here in this segment by saying there's, there's four 
critical issues for negotiation. And interestingly enough, to some extent, all of those four were issues for negotiations decades ago. So, I mean, we're, I don't want to say we're back to the early 1990s. It's obviously yeah. a very different situation on the ground. Yeah. But none of this is particularly new. And that's why I refer to it as a senseless war. Jeff, what do you uh, see as the centrality of the, of the Nord Stream pipeline in all of this? You know, the, the article by Hearst, you know, claiming that we actually destroyed it and the Americans destroyed the pipeline. Um, and that this is a longstanding issue within the, you know, sort of neoliberal uh, portion of our State Department that blocking these pipelines were important because it is the main source of what essentially is a petrostate, and that obviously mm -hmm. is what Russia is. Okay. Boy, um, I, I don't think it's a, the critical issue, you know, related to this particular conflict, and I haven't read enough of Seymour Hersh's reporting to know how much evidence he has. Right, I and mean, a lot of people have said that. It, yeah. Yeah, like kind of like Bob Woodward. That to some degree, he's relying on his reputation for past exposés mm -hmm. and that they didn't agree that he really had proof of that. So I'm just he, curious, exactly. what, do you, what do you think, Charles, about the, the theory that uh, the U.S. Uh, blew up the Nord Stream pipeline? I, I, don't, I don't know any more than anybody else, you know. Um, but I do think, interestingly, he also followed up with a recent article talking about George Ball, who was one of the few people within the Democratic administrations that uh, started and, and furthered the war in Vietnam, who stood up right from the beginning and said, this is insane. And, and to some degree, I think, as Jeff would speak to, a lot of this is, in fact, not driven by the traditional, you know, uh, tough on the Reaganites, you know, uh, mm -hmm. peace through strength. It's, it's driven by, as it was in Vietnam, um, de you know, Democratic intellectuals oftentimes who have the problem of they never want to appear weak, <laughs> you know. No. Um, they, and, they were probably beaten up in class as kids. But I, but I think the reality, Jeff, is, is just what you said. The, the war can't be won on the ground. In fact, there was an interesting piece yesterday talking about the fact that, you know, the big thing that the Ukrainians want planes. The planes are worthless, that all of the, you know, uh, shoulder-fired missiles and everything else pretty much allow both sides to negate any advantage you would have, even no matter how sophisticated the plane so you're using. To, to wrap up mm -hmm. the Nord Stream mm -hmm. question, Charles, that you raised, Jeffrey, would you, how, how do you, where do you come down on that? Well, what, was, the, was, was the bomb, was the rupture of that I, I just, I don't know enough. I don't think any of us, yeah, I don't think any of us will know right. enough for a while to speculate. But, but I don't think that that is the, you know, I think the crucial issues related to the negotiations which will have to take place is, is NATO enlargement, mm -hmm. Uh, the military encirclement of the Russian Federation, um, Crimea, uh, Ukraine sovereignty. I mean, I, I've been given presentations and I've made the argument that politically, Ukraine won the war in the first few weeks. I mean, Ukraine has established that they are a sovereign nation state. Well, and they won the war in the hearts and minds. Would you say in large part because of all the shipments of weapons from the West? Well, no. I mean, they won no. the war when immediately they decided to fight. In other words, the Russians sent in, you know, 196,000 soldiers to try to force the government of Kiev to, um, capitulate. you know, yeah, to sure. capitulate in the right. fleet. And Zelensky instead showed up and said, said, we're here and we've always been here and we're not going anywhere. And I think at that point, 
the Russian miscalculation was so big. And then on the other hand, the West has miscalculated that they could bring Russia to its knees because its economy fell some, but not that far. Now, apparently, there's speculation that because of the high price of, of carbons, that economic growth will not be so bad in Russia going forward. And, and Russia's already manufacturing new weapons. They're trading more with China, with India, with the BRICS, you know, South Africa. They're doing military exercises. So, you know, they've gained 11% more territory. But the four provinces, these were part of Minsk One, Minsk Two anyway. There was already negotiations explain, going on. Explain Minsk One. Well, Minsk One and Minsk Two were, of course, after 2015, after uh, especially the, the two, um, Donetsk and Luhansk, the Russian separatist provinces um, after the overthrow of a government, after they seceded with the help, of course, of Russia and the Russian military. So really, as part of those agreements, there was discussion of an international referenda where these Russians who are living in Ukraine, in southeastern Ukraine, would in fact vote whether they want to be neutral, right. whether they want to be part of Ukraine, whether they be, want to be part of the Russian Federation. So, you know, this is something that could be negotiated. And why didn't why did Minsk too, for instance, not? I mean, the Americans didn't get behind it <sighs> yeah. and force the hand of the Ukrainians. Yeah. You know, and what was I, mean, I never understood the motivation yeah. to continue the, the way things were. Well, there, there's different. I mean, obviously, there's different angles on this. Um, one of the angles is that um, the president of Ukraine is also has to deflect a a far right nationalistic movement that is not willing to negotiate, but also threaten his life, Zelensky's life, when he said he would go meet with the separatist leaders. Um, there's speculation that the United States and Britain's goal of weakening Russia or bringing Russia to its knees um, has been pushing Ukraine to fight. You know, it's kind of like, a, I don't know, you think of a bar fight, you know, where you're with somebody <laughs> who's, you know, 110 pounds soaking wet and, you know, there's somebody big that's threatening them. And, you know, it, you know, <laughs> but and so, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I guess that's how I would answer that. But but then again, um, you know, going back, Ukraine has to get guarantees that they're not only sovereign, and that their security and their borders have to be respected. And Russia is going to insist on some, some, some concessions. I mean, Putin cannot back out of this conflict without saving face. Well, the biggest concession, gonna... the biggest concession, would be NATO membership, sure. which really has well, I that, think, that, really that, been that, that would be a huge mistake for to allow Ukraine to join NATO, in my opinion. Right, but the thing would be yeah. that's what I'm saying, which is that, that really be, the, yeah. the the main leverage here well, is is to guarantee sovereignty I, without NATO. Membership. Don't you think the, the main the main sticking point for Putin is he wants to maintain and strengthen access to the Black Sea? No, absolutely, but but that that gets into he can NATO. do that through Syria, though. Well, not not, well, through, yeah, not through no. Syria, but but that that gets into that gets into NATO enlargement because mm -hmm. because the idea Russia could never ever envision British or French or United States navy boats in their historical Black Sea navy fleet, which they've essentially governed and had control of since 1783, and even in 1954, you know when it was quote unquote given over to Ukraine, it wasn't given over to Ukraine. The situation on the ground didn't really change much. I mean, how would and we? Nothing much has changed since 1783, and this is their only warm water port. Well, so yeah. it, it's it's really it, it's it's 
to, I mean, it's de facto Russian, and it's not right. I mean, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying, as you, you people hear my voice, I'm just saying this is how Russia sees the conflict, and we have to negotiate not where we want Russia to be, but where they actually are, whether we agree with it or not. And Crimea is an area, but Zelensky knows that, because early on he was saying, you know, we'll kick Crimea down the road, and I think, I mean, he knows that. But what, what, He's, I mean, exceptionally bright. What, what rarely gets discussed in all this is the the reality that Russia has, what, 6,000, 7,000 nuclear weapons? Yeah, and, lots. Um, <laughs> and, and, yeah, lots. Uh, enough to destroy multiple planets many times over. And, yeah. uh, and, and here we are escalating a conflict with a country that is not only nuclear armed, but nuclear armed to the teeth. And, uh, you know, the... the, the um, the increasing tensions and the increasing involvement of the West in Ukraine can't can't help make can't help but make that worse, more dangerous, more possible that there could be some so temptation. How, how, to use how a do you weapon. see that factoring in? I mean, we grew up in the fifties with way more risk of an actual not mistake conflict, what, but why, a why? exchange. I mean, there was you know the sixties was the notion of limited nuclear war. It was ludicrous. Well, why is it, why is there any less risk today? I mean, I know we we, we reduced the it's overall always, arsenal, but that risk is the risk is the same. Yeah, no, it's, it's, well, see, I, I would say there's more risk today because it, you're not dealing with mad. You're not dealing with mutually assured destruction because the bomb would not be. It would be on the heads of the Ukrainians, and we would not well, be affected. Well, sure we would be. I mean, radioactive fallout from any well, kind of engagement anywhere in yeah. the world is going to affect everyone. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but what I mean is that MAD doesn't, doesn't necessarily right. come into Right, I, I think that's, that's a good point, Jeff, which is that, yeah, because Ed has, he and I have exchanged emails on this. Mm-hmm. It, there isn't likely to be an exchange of intercontinental ballistic missiles unless, you know, North Korea decides it's a good time to do it. Um, <laughs> so... You, you'd be talking essentially tact, what they call tactical nuclear weapons. But in some sense, it, it's more of a marketing technique. I hate to say it. Because it's, it, it's very similar to dropping the two atomic bombs on the Japanese cities at the end of World War II. We killed more people in two weeks of firebombing Tokyo. And, you know, I, and, and people say, well, this is terrible. They, you know, they were incinerated by these bombs. Well, people were burned to death with phosphine, you know, with phosphorus gas. And other incendiaries that we dropped over Tokyo, in the atmosphere, that basically and burned away all the oxygen. So, it's it whether it's a tactical nuclear weapon or it's what they're doing now slowly with artillery, it's all the same. I mean, you're you're exterminating a civilian population. Yeah, well, it's not it's not all the same because when once you when, with the residue from a nuclear exchange of any magnitude is uh, is radioactive fallout. Well, but that, that was the uh, case that was the case with with open air testing during the 50s. Yeah, that, well, that, was, that, was, that was isolated nuclear weapons being tested. I mean, I'm not condoning that at all. That's well, there's terrible. not going to be an exchange here. It's only going to be well, the Russians firing. How do you know, that? Do you yeah. know that? How can you be assured that there's not going to be an, a, a significant exchange between Russia and the US, maybe even involving China since China seems to be cozying up pretty nicely with with Putin right now. How do you know that? And I think the more, the more tension the in the world, the worse it's going to China get. is looking to be the manufacturing site for everybody in the world. Why are they going to want to exterminate the world? They are pretty pragmatic, I think. Yeah, China. Yeah, I think. I mean, China has a twelve-point peace plan that is pretty vague, but it, it would have to start out vague. But yeah, China doesn't have any interest in a nuclear exchange because of what they are, where they are geographically too. Well, no one does, you know? but yeah. but but in madness or accident or just the sure. the, the heated. Moments that come when conflicts escalate. I mean, yeah. any of those could lead to something happening. Yeah, I mean, John F. Kennedy. Although it's really yeah. interesting because 
maybe there is a, at least one good thing coming out of this, which is, you know, of course, all we've heard about is, well, what would happen if Muslim Islamic terrorists got a hand in a nuclear weapon? Now we're worried about basically the ultimate white people, <laughs> right? The, the you know, people who are true Caucasians <laughs> oh. being just as crazy yeah. to use weapons. I just don't see it. I mean, even attacking... Do you not see it, Jeff? Weapon. Yeah. Well, no. I, I mean, I, I think because of what, is, what has happened militarily, um, I, I don't... I don't, I don't see it a, a scenario going forward where Russia could be pushed with its back against the wall to such a level just because of what's happening. Now, if Russia was, and especially to lose Crimea, then the equation changes because the president of Russia would never survive if he lost Crimea in or his if, own country. Or if they wanted to do and it. What would happen could, could come after that could be less pragmatic to say, to say that. Could least. be nuclear. Oh yeah, they don't or, even, it doesn't it have to be nuclear. I mean, they yeah. could simply destroy the the uh, power to the nuclear plant, and you wouldn't be able to control the reaction in the biggest nuclear reactor in Europe. Well, and, you know, yeah, and that, and that's yeah. that's a horrific possibility. And a, all of this speaks to so, ceasefire, negotiation, diplomacy. So, uh, to your as point, soon Charles, as possible. The, the, yeah. uh, the, um, the 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 risk of nuclear war now is as bad as it was back in the fifties and sixties when. When you know, when you and I were starting school and being told to get under the desk and cover our heads because that would keep us safe, you know. But but there was uh, out of that arose this incredible peace movement, uh, hundreds of thousands marching, um, various movements. Uh, I mean, all over the world, not just in the U.S. Yeah. And I, you know, what if Ukraine had happened back in the '50s and '60s? I, I imagine that would have even increased the urgency that the peace movement felt toward trying to de-escalate nuclear, the threat of nuclear war. And, and now it's like, we, we don't, we, you hardly hear about it. You hardly hear about it. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm thinking, oh, what, what's it going to take for people to wake up and realize that this is a real possibility? I mean, and, and maybe, maybe you disagree with me. Maybe, maybe you don't see it as, as urgent. But to me, it is extremely urgent and made more urgent by what's happening in Ukraine. Yeah. Well, I, 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 would, I would argue to some degree that, think that what worries me more is end-time philosophies for whatever reason you come to them. There's a lot of end-time philosophy within our government right now via fundamentalist Christianity, you know, where the apocalypse needs to come for the judgment of, of God and the kingdom of God to, to come. And then, well, and, and so the end times are in some sense not to be feared, you know, and that's not that much different than what we claim, you know, that that the Islamic fundamentalists would do for the same reason, because they too want to bring the kingdom of God, right? And so is Putin an end timer? I don't think so, but he also is clearly ill. I mean, to, from what is not entirely clear, but he's physically ill. Yeah. And I guess that is the other concern. Um, but everybody's doing business. I mean, all these communists from the 50s and 60s are all into doing business, which makes me think that maybe they're not thinking the end times need to come too soon because they're making good money. Well, maybe if Putin is <laughs> ill, know? maybe if Putin is ill, he doesn't care. Yeah. Well, I, you but know, there I, are others who yeah. might. I mean, Yeltsin, in nearly every Russian or Soviet leader, has not behaved much differently than, than Putin. So, I, I mean, I think the personalization of this conflict that our, our media... Um, has engaged in for decades, um, you know, isn't really very helpful because Yeltsin, you know, followed a, a similar policy. 
Crimea is was and he would, he drank be. a lot more and drank a lot more yeah and was adored by <laughs> and the could West. not ride yeah. a bear yeah and drove yeah. and drove a tank into their parliament but was adored by the West you know so um, but I think there's two things with nuclear weapons you do have the United Nations treaty to abolish nuclear weapons that more countries have signed up for but um, you know India Israel Pakistan North Korea and the five permanent members of the Security Council that have nuclear weapons. You know, they practice nuclear blackmail every single day, sure. every single second of every single hour, uh, holding this sword um, above the rest of the world. And there's been a lot of sober voices, um, Republicans and Democrats alike, former secretaries of state that have called for a world without nuclear mm -hmm. weapons. So we have to get to that world. And I agree with you, Ed, and probably Charles. Yeah, I mean, there needs to be more activism about that all over the world. So speaking of, uh, world of speaking weapons. of voices for peace, You've got in the U.S. Congress right now Matt Gates, uh, Lauren uh, Breitbart, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Boebert. Boebert, yeah, there we go. Uh, <laughs> calling, calling for a, 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 an end to funding for the war in Ukraine. But they're not calling for an end yeah. to funding because they care about nuclear weapons. Right. Or they care yeah, about the Ukrainians. Because they're also threatening China. Yeah. Right. They, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, yeah. they are simply interested in yeah. scoring political points. But it makes it makes for an interesting uh, political playing field, so to speak. I mean, yeah, when, got... when it comes to foreign policy, historically, I mean, whether it's, you know, a permanent military basis, state of perpetual war, permanent war economy, uh, the Republicans and Democrats, I mean, a, a friend of mine from Iran used to say that the Democratic Party is a Republican tactic, um, <laughs> you know, and I think that, and I think that, I mean, especially with foreign policy, there's so little difference between the parties, and they both vote for the $800 billion Pentagon budgets, and it's um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, they're going to be they're going to be these deficit hawks, but everything is off the table. The military is off the table. Medicare is off the table because, of course, that would be extraordinarily unpopular and extraordinarily stupid to you know defund Medicare and Social Security. Basically, is off the table except in Rick Scott's mind, who's getting ready to lead the invasion of Mexico <laughs> to you know to follow the Tom Clancy book playbook of sending the American military into another country without them asking us. Well, we've never done lands. that, Charles. <laughs> well, but this we've is never also, done that. This is our largest yeah. trading partner. Yeah, right. No, and it, that does include what yeah, comes I mean, the border and the trucks. I, I will <laughs> say, you know, it, it is interesting to see how National Public Radio, the New York Times, how all of these public, uh, all of these media entities have all of a sudden discovered the United Nations Charter. They've discovered the Geneva Conventions. They've discovered the laws of war. They've discovered all of these things. When for 28 years, they, they were not able to find them anywhere. Now, how do you explain that? Well, it's, I guess Noam Chomsky explained it when, you know, when he talked about how um, the crimes of your official enemies are reported compared to um, how the crimes that, that your own nation uh, commits. I mean, you know, it's clear that the invasion of Iraq was an illegal invasion. It was an illegal war. Um, and the other thing is the International Criminal Court, which the United States and the Russian Federation do not belong to, although I am glad the ICC has an indictment against Russia because I don't think they'd indict them unless they had real good evidence. And so I'm really, I'm pleased that's happening. Well, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the, uh, the Iraq war. Dennis Kucinich just sends out some pretty provocative material and recently uh, pointing out that the Iraq war was founded conclusively and, and, and without any, any question at all, factually, you can, you can say that the Iraq war was founded on lies, lies of weapons of mass destruction, mm -hmm. but also Saddam Hussein's alleged connection sure. to the 9-11 bombing. Mm -hmm. And his contention is this war is also founded on lies. And then the U.S. involvement 
is a lie. What, what do you mean the U.S. involvement is a lie? It's, it's based on premises that don't stand up to fact. Um, we, we want to be there for ulterior motives. Which are what? Um, well, uh, again, to propagate the, uh, the continued Cold War and to, um, to benefit to, for, for corporations that benefit from the... Uh, well, I knew we'd the, come um, to this. Well, yeah, they, I mean... And but we, we, we make these things whether they're going to be used in the war or not. We make more of them when we're in wars. We're a not the more. only ones. You know, and I don't see... I, I think if you think this was driven by the military-industrial complex, I, I, I really... I think, I, it's, I, always I an, I think it. it's always an element of the conversation. I, I, well, I mean, I, I, I mean, motivation is, is sometimes difficult to assess, especially so early in the game. I, I do think that the idea of weakening Russia, you know, uh, and it, it is, is something. And, and also, I mean, the idea of, um, I mean, th there is something to the idea of upholding the, the, the you know, the sovereignty. And, and, and because Zelensky and the government of Ukraine at least from my reading, has done some made some positive moves in terms of, you know, trying to get rid of corruption and stuff mm -hmm. in order to join the European Union. There's another negotiating mm -hmm. area that mm -hmm. that could be, you know, et cetera. And so, so I, yeah, I mean, motivation. The books will be written decades from now. Well, I, I think the big the big problem is you're the American president, and this war is started not by the Americans. It's started by the Russians. No, and no argument there. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to be the but, one who is goes down in history with now the Russian Federation on the border of Poland? Yeah. Well, it's it's, but it's they it's wouldn't a, be on the border. It's the war that was started. They're not going to go beyond. It's the war that was started with the Russians. The Russians well, started this war, but it, yeah. it, 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 it's well. It, wait, it, wait, you're saying they would have just taken the provinces, Jeff? But why yeah. then was their first offensive at Kiev? Because they thought that they could scare the yeah. the, the Kiev government. You're because, probably right. I mean, they only sent 196,000 soldiers. But again, but again. Um, and there's no way Russia, I mean, think of it, Russia at the height of the Soviet Union could not occupy 20-some million people in the poorest country in the world, Afghanistan. <laughs> well, the idea nor that, did we do it. Yeah, well, we yeah. that too. The so, idea that the Russian Federation could occupy 36 million Ukrainians is impossible. And, and the Russian, they know that they were never going to take all of Ukraine. That, that was never... That was never um, an objective because it's impossible. Hey, I got to wrap up this uh, conversation, gentlemen. Charles, uh, stick around. We got more to talk about. Jeffrey, thank yeah. you so much All for right. joining us. Uh, Jeffrey Weiss joining Charles Goldman and myself in the studio. Yeah. We do got to take a short break, and when we come back, uh, Charles and I are going to weigh in on the latest banking crisis. Also, we're going to be talking about President Biden's decision to sell the Alaskan wilderness to big oil. And we will have a little bit of time, hopefully, to talk about the potentially broad political fallout from Donald Trump's likely impeachment. Sorry, impeachment. <laughs> funny, funny Freudian slip there. Indictment. There we go. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Always got to be on top.
Gateway Market and Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. You're responsible for a lot, and it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. Psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed, and his services are offered on a self-pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Lipsham is committed to the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Mark says no matter how you plan or renovate your project, use the most energy efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest lasting materials available. A beautiful project will be revered, maintained and valued, and is the best investment you can make for a future we all share. Learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. At a time when big corporations control most of the media, the niche we provide here is more important than ever. So please consider supporting what we do. You can go to FallonForum.com, donate, even better, become a monthly supporter. And speaking of supporters, thanks to our sponsor, Architecture by Synthesis. Owner Mark Clipsham says that no matter how you plan or renovate your project, Please use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. That's Architecture by Synthesis. All right, Charles, so uh, there's a lot to talk about here in this next uh, segment of our conversation. I want to start off with the Silicon Valley Bank and what that means in the big picture. A bank that a week ago nobody had ever heard of. Well, they, they, they are the 16th largest bank in the country. Uh, based on their stock valuation, that's right. correct. Well, that's probably changed a little bit. Right. <laughs> and, of course, they were very instrumental in the tech boom. And, um, you know, here's President Biden last week saying, quote, uh, people should feel confident that their deposits will be there if and when they need them. And I love the fact that he said if they need them. Because mm-hmm. people always put money in the bank. And, yeah, maybe they need it, maybe they don't. If they need them. That's hilarious to me. But... Uh, should people is is well? Is, I, I, actually, what was interesting about that whole statement was that they got him up at nine in the morning. Biden. Yeah, and he Who usually he? well, he's he, this is Jen Psaki was talking about this on on MSNBC, and uh, or maybe seen I don't know which one, but um, you know he's he basically works mostly at night and sleeps in. Doesn't like getting up in the morning. Oh. that early. I mean, unlike Trump, who of course still would be upstairs watching the news until. 11 or 12. Fox News. Fox News. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause, and calling in. Um, <laughs> and tweeting. Right. So, so, you know, when when the president starts using the word confidence and that we're going to take care of this problem, 
all of a sudden, and, and somebody pointed out, maybe it wasn't the best idea to use the word confidence because con and our banks kind of a con. Yeah, they kind of are. And that's a stretch. Well, linguistically, no, well, because it, it it is somewhat of a shell game. I mean, and sure, this know, is this the, is this is what this bank. First of all, this bank was basically a bunch of venture capital type people who were giving money to risky startup firms in in, in the tech field. Um, and when money was cheap, you know, remember we've had essentially almost zero interest rates, sure. which are reflected, of course, in getting paid nothing on your savings, as well as <laughs> right. getting mortgages at very low rates, which, of course, what does that do? Drives up the price of houses so most people can't get them anymore. Yeah. Um, so it's a great thing, in other words. Well, no, I mean, that's the problem. <laughs> the problem is that some people love cheap money, mm. right? Except some, for the people who are retirees yeah, your average who are looking to enter the housing like market. Yeah. Well, right. they, well, they, they like do to some degree. Well. And so what happens? You have people sitting at home during... COVID, they're getting money from, you know, the payroll protection program. They don't have a lot to do. And people are buying stocks like crazy. And you get this gigantic boom in stocks. That's how the valuation of this bank went from, you know, a couple billion to like 700 billion on the stock market. It was ridiculous. Um, it's run by people who clearly should not be running a bank. Right. Uh, you know, one of the people running the bank used to be a uh, improv comedian. So it was one of the members of the board. Now, unlike, unlike... That's not funny. No. Unlike the Wall Street Journal, which one of their commentators made the point that maybe if 12 white men were running the bank, this wouldn't have happened. Literally, oh, says this. He said the, that? Yeah, in the paper. Okay? Because they, they, that was the big thing on the right. Oh, it was too woke. There was too many women and too many uh, black people. There was like one black person on the board of 12. Right? That's why they went on there. But basically the problem was that... They were all in on low interest rates. So they, they, they bought bonds. They bought a lot of t you know, treasury bonds at, because the, the yield was poor for a treasury bond, but it was the only thing yielding more than like 0.5% you know, in the cheap money days. And then they also went in on mortgage-backed securities, which also don't do well when interest rates suddenly start rising. And this was not damage control. They were unhedged. So, so it... It's something that any regulator should have seen coming. Right, and ninety percent right, ninety percent so of the deposits were in excess of two hundred fifty thousand dollars per account, which means they are uninsured. Yeah, right. That's the simplest thing you can do if you're a startup company, and you've got a, you know let's say a million dollars, open up sub accounts. Don't just put it all in one account. I mean, this is like basic finance. That's the monetary version of don't put all your eggs in one basket. Yeah, correct. So, but you know. There's a lot of concern right now that this is going to spiral domino. Pick your metaphor. And that and concern be... was driven by people like Mark Cuban and others who were saying the government had to rescue everybody because, you know, they have to make the payroll in, in Silicon Valley and everything else. Right. Well, the right? government didn't. Apparently, the government this time did not rescue. Well, what they Silicon did was Valley they Bank. set up. That's correct. What they right. did was they set up a situation where the Fed would give them money to tide them over, but, but my, that was not going to be like what happened in 2008. But, but it was that, that money was from an insurance pool that all, all the banks Well, that's what FDIC is. Uh, that the premiums yeah. are paid by banks. And yeah. then they... Then, I mean, they pass on the cost to, to us eventually. That's correct. Sure, but well, but, but it, it wasn't a taxpayer-funded bailout. That's time. correct. Yeah. That's correct. But if it gets worse, if it continues, I mean, there's well, one that's study... Well, and that's why they had to make it, that's why they had to nip this in the bud, because... Yes, it's the 16th biggest bank 
based on the stock valuation. Do you think they've successfully nipped it in the bud? I, they took it off the front page pretty quickly. So what about Biden trying to blame the uh, the bank's collapse on Trump rolling back the uh, rules put in place? That was, was Dodd-Frank, I believe, back in the, after the 2008 well, collapse. It, it True or false? Yes, but it wasn't just Trump. Right. Because the Republicans were the drivers of that, but there were a number of complicit Democrats who went along with the rollbacks of Dodd-Frank. Right. Because were they doing the stress testing of this bank, this bank would have been in receivership long before this happened. And really, all that happened here was that, again, it, it, they had to sell off the bonds at such a loss. They lost a, million and a, a billion and a half in one day uh, selling off the bonds to get cash to pay their depositors. So, so Biden trying to blame Trump for the Silicon Valley Bank collapse, not, yeah, how about not, just, not, not entirely. How about just govern? How about okay, just well, government? Okay, Forget so the politics. Flip side, so here's Republicans blaming Biden, including a great headline in the American Independent, and I quote, Republicans blame Biden administration's, quote, woke policies yeah, for correct. Silicon Valley, Valley Bank collapse. Right. Because, <laughs> that, that's the, <laughs> but that was based on the fact that somehow the money that was, this, is, this came from Claremont Institute, which is this right-wing Republican think tank uh, out in California. Um, that the bank was giving millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars, to various organizations that Claremont declares are woke, right? And they, they could include things like Nature Conservancy. You know, I mean, anything that is, is, is against capitalism, as far as Claremont's concerned, is, is I guess woke the Nature Conservancy is against capitalism because they like public lands? Exactly. Oh, that yeah, land could be better yeah. used yeah. by drilling it. So, I checked the, uh, the definition of woke in the uh, Merriam-Webster's Dictionary. This is great, Charles. Uh, it's defined as a U.S. slang meaning, quote, aware of and actively attentive to important societal facts and issues, especially issues of racial, racial and social justice. Right. Yeah. So it's actually about empathy and concern for others. Yeah, well, um, you know, you would think, too, that, uh, that some of the voices on the right would know pretty much what woke, but they'd have a definition for wokeism. And I'm sure everybody has seen this quote, this uh, clip by now from, uh, from uh, uh, Bethany Mandel, I believe, a, a conservative commentator. Um, I'll, I'll play it for you. Would you mind defining woke? Because it's come up a couple times, and I just want to make sure we're on the same page. So, I mean, woke is sort of the idea that... Um, I, this is going to be one of those moments that goes viral. I mean, woke is something that's very hard to define, and we've spent an entire chapter defining it. It is sort of the understanding that we need to re -to totally reimagine and re re redo society in order to create hierarchies of oppression. Um, sorry, I, it's, it's hard to explain in a 15-second soundbite. <laughs> That's great, isn't it? It'll be a great book. Yeah, well, it's got to be a great book. But now we now we know that it's either if you want the the right's take, it was wokeism that caused the bank collapse. If we want the left's take, it was Trump. <laughs> yeah. Again, this is a situation to be dealt with. This is a situation in which, again, the American people have been told somehow that that unregulated financial activity is is to their benefit. Really, banks owning cryptocurrency. That went well venture too, capitalists it? who basically are running a venture capital firm instead of a bank, but they're calling it a bank. Yeah. Um, th th it's just it's idiotic that we believe that somehow the market's going to shake all this out. Yeah. Right. 
and, and you know, I'll give you an example because I always go back to the same thing. The who is the who other than George Soros? Who who is the who the is not true, who is not funding this program? Who is by not the way. is not also contributing to the New York Attorney General? Um, who do, who does this Republican Party hate more than George Soros? There's no question. FDR, right? Oh sure. Because he set up the nanny state, the regulatory state, yeah. right? Well, you know what this country looks like at the end of the 1930s without FDR and and the New Deal? It looks like probably fascist Italy, because that was a trend in this country. And in, in the same depression that led to Nazism and fascism in Europe, you end up with exactly the same thing in the United States. And, and as happened in 2008, when you know Obama took charge, the Democrats have saved capitalism multiple times. Right. And, and thank, all they, and thank, then they have thank to thank you. Right. Well, I'm not saying I'm not saying that we should thank them for it, but that is the reality. And the Republicans can talk all they want about the free market and the invisible hand and the Adam Smithian views. But when it comes down to when there's a problem, they expect the government to show up. Yeah. Hey, so speaking of the government showing up, I guess uh, Biden is uh, showing up in Alaska. Uh, the Willow Project is uh, being approved. That's um, that's a ConocoPhillips uh, dream, and they're finally getting it. Uh, well, that's been a project that's been in the works for years. It's been requested, but it's up to the administration to deny or approve the license, and they chose to approve the license. Right. They, they improved a scaled-down version of it um, and, and at the same time closed off millions of acres adjacent to it. And it doesn't matter a hill of beans, Charles, because this is a huge project that's going to open up what, 180,000 barrels a day? 180,000 barrels of oil a day? This could be going on for 30 years. Is it going to matter if cars aren't burning uh, gas in the future? It's, 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 what's, what's not going to matter, what's going what's gonna to matter is whether we still have a planet that we can call home. I mean, this is a huge amount of new emissions that are going to be released because of this if project. If it's burned. Well, if, okay. They're, they're, they're not going to pull it out and not burn it. They, they okay, pull but, it out, but someone's going to want to buy it and burn it. I, it there's, there's not just the environmental argument here. I'm not, I'm not disputing that why we drilling for more oil. But the politics here are that the indigenous communities that live in the area wanted it for economic purposes. Right. The state of Alaska wanted it. You also are influencing Murkowski, who is at least a reasonably moderate Republican. Well, the new, it's the, a the, trade the new Democratic off. representative uh, Phil, and, Phil exactly. she wants it. Right. But, but that doesn't make it right. It does, yeah, Science but, doesn't want this. Science is dead Science doesn't this. decide things. Well, I mean, people ought to decide things based on science. Gosh. If people can decide, it work, it that's fine. With gravity. That's fine. You can bring, first of all, the, the, the North Slope pipeline is running at 25% of the level it ran 10 years ago. Yeah, and the DAPL pipeline has now been doubled. Okay, you know, but all I'm I saying mean, is this, is, this is a huge amount of no, the oil supply no, the, for the, the United the, States. Here's another word for it. It is insanity. It is insanity when science is crystal clear. I mean, there's no longer any doubt about what science is saying about climate change. You, we have to stop, uh, you know, we have to stop burning oil. We have to and stop you have to stop making oil worth burning. Okay, at, at, at every angle, we just have to stop this direction. We're going as quickly as possible. You know, you know who, you know who, um, who uh, weighed in against the uh, decision by Biden to allow this project? Al Gore. Well, that doesn't well, surprise well, me. Well, it does surprise me. A I thought you were going to say Matt Gates. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's probably 
They, they're probably against it as well, because anything that Biden's for, they're against, right? Exactly. But no, but Al, Al Gore is so, he's so tied in with the Democratic Party, I was surprised to see him have the the uh, chutzpah to come out and criticize the president on this. I mean, in, in strong terms. Because why? Look, because Al Gore believes in science. You know, and here's what I here's what I don't believe in anymore. Joe Biden's word. When Joe Biden was in Iowa, he looked me in the eye and said, "Take my word for it. I've never gone back back and I'm going to post that. Take my word. I've never gone back on my word." Biden said that to me and Kathy and other people a, a couple times, but once emphatically. And what is he doing? He's going. He went back so, on his word on Dapple, and he's going back on his word on not so additional. When we have President Ron land. DeSantis. Well, which I hope we don't either, but... Well, but this is the point. Can we I get mean, some options other than Biden and DeSantis or De- Biden and Trump? I mean, you're a politician. You understand that politics I'm is not about absolutes. You're a recovery, but it's not about absolutes. It's about trade-offs. It's about compromise. Right, okay. And but, so you get, you get the Inflation Reduction Act. You get the biggest expenditure yeah. on green projects... Ever. Well, and, law, and inside that, tra- that, that, that redu- Inflation Reduction Act is money for the carbon capture uh, project that we all know is a joke. I understand it's that. It's a joke. I understand that. But this is the same thing as the drug war. It's the, not because the drug war it is, is... It is the same idea, which is no, cutting off the supply is not going to make a difference. Cutting off the demand is what makes a difference. The big difference here country. is science. Science makes it... You know, there's no science when it comes to the drug war. I mean, we know it's bad. You know, but how do you how do you fight it? Well, and and you don't you don't you don't lose a planet if you lose the drug war. If we lose the battle against expansion of fossil fuels, we lose civilization on this planet, perhaps entirely, but certainly as we know it. And that's what Biden. Well, I thought the nukes were going to get us first. They might. Um, <laughs> they, well, they, but what they, I'm saying, they might. I'm, you know, Ed, what I'm saying is, is that fighting the established economic interests in this country, which is what you're trying to do, which we have to do, but then fight it at the demand side. Fight it at bringing back cars. I mean, you're seeing Hummers that are electric now. You're seeing large trucks that are electric now. That is what's going to make oil much less useful, and it doesn't matter. They're going to be drilling oil that no one's going to want. Yeah, I doubt that. I, I doubt ConocoPhillips is going to be putting 200 wells in the Arctic uh, with it, without well, any plan to sell it. That's an, interesting, that's an interesting point, because there's hundreds of leases up there that have sat there unused for a decade now. You know, so... It's pretty clear that that the oil and gas companies are realizing that there is a lifespan to their product because they're not all up there drilling every one of the leases. So I don't know. I, I, I think that fighting every project as opposed to, to making it so that the demand side disappears is, is, not, is not the path that will get us out of this. So I'm not, I'm not saying that the drug war is as consequential as climate change. It is highly consequential. Sure. Um, but I, I think the approaches we've taken have been on the wrong side of the equation for too long, and that we're finally moving in the right direction. And that as we electrify, we're going to have to make other compromises, yeah. predominantly yeah, and, with nuclear. And here's another thing. We can never electrify to the degree that we want to. We can if we use out. more modern nuclear. Not not 1950s technology with you know plutonium producing reactors, but you're gonna have or or some battery technology that allows us to store what can be generated during the day. 
And of course, the easiest thing would be conservation, but Americans are not down with that, and we'll never get them down with that. Well, let's uh, let's change uh, gears for a second, Charles. We have a little bit of time left. Um, Trump. Now, we're talking about this, not quite knowing what happened. We're taping this program on Monday. Who knows what happens on Tuesday? But it looks to me like the guy's going to be indicted, possibly arrested. Do you think so? Um, I assume that as much as we'd all like to see him frog walk to, you know, frog on, on, on the bus to Rikers, that <laughs> at worst, you know, he'll go into some... He'll go into the DA's office. They'll fingerprint him. They'll hand him the bill of indictment, and he'll leave with his Secret Service. Well, they put an orange jumper on him because that will clash with this orange, uh, you know, <laughs> this orange colored. Uh... You know, I, the unfortunate thing is, as much as everybody's really looking forward to this, I doubt, uh, as I... guilty as he is of this, that he could ever be convicted. Because how are they ever going to find the jury? Here's my take: it's going to be it's going to be politically beneficial to Trump. For this to happen, no, it would be financially beneficial. I think ultimately, oh, yeah, the people who are, who are absolutely giddy and just are trying to hide it are people like Ron DeSantis. Oh no, I I, I think it's going to fire up Trump's base, um, especially if you've got a primary. Where you've got we've already got DeSantis, Nikki Haley, probably going to have Mike Pence. A, a Republican primary that becomes broad. Well, then that'll even be better. Help Trump and 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 Trump is going to that'll even be better. Why? Who, because we get President who, who Biden we, again. Right. Exactly. Because Trump can't win. Let me try to contain my enthusiasm. I mean, again, I'm, I I would rather have, in a heartbeat, President Biden than a President Trump again. But gosh, can't we do better on the Democratic side, too? Can't we have a competitive primary it's not, on that side? Yes, but it's also not just about who the president is. It's about who, who's around you. Sure, and that's up to the president to decide that's who to correct. appoint. That's correct. And I would Obama say, made some really bad decisions about that. Right, and I think actually Biden's made better decisions. Probably, but Biden's Obama's decisions on... Who he surrounded himself with, which is terrible. Uh, but my point is, I think that the Trump base is is already as riled up as they can get anyway. Oh, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I think if, you, if you've listened we'll to see. Benito Mussolini Trump and, you know, and, and his incessant anti-Semitism talking about Soros and calling, you know, the DA a racist, mm. right? Trump, you, you are morally and ethically bankrupt if you're a Trump supporter at this point. And there, are, there is nothing more to say I, I, anymore. I, I'm not going to say that because I know well, too don't many people. Do, I know too fine. many good people who are supporting Trump for one reason or another. Yeah, no, but yeah, anyway. the nature of Trump, you were seeing it. Yeah, but let I, him I, run again. Yeah. Hey, let him run again. Let him run again. Let him run again. That's fine. Charles wants <laughs> Trump to run again. Hear that? Donald? Absolutely. All right. Hey, uh, Charles, thanks for joining me today. That's great. Hey, when we come back from a short break, folks, uh, Kathy Burns is going to join me, and we're going to be talking about the. Uh, Cuts in food stamp, uh, food assistance, and uh, what that means for people who need that assistance while prices, food prices, are going up. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. 
Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Forum. Remember, you can support this alternative to the Shock Jocks by becoming a monthly donor or a business sponsor. Check out the Fallon Forum website for details. And thanks to psychiatrist Dr. David Drake. If you live in Iowa, wherever you live in Iowa, Dr. Drake can help through the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling offered on a self-pay basis. Contact daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for creatures great and small for over 30 years. Learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page. All right, Kathy Burns is with me, and we're discussing the cuts to food benefit programs, and along with that, the rising cost of, of food. It's, uh, it's not a great combination. No, and the cuts are actually an end of an additional benefit that began during the COVID pandemic. It was uh, some emergency funding that uh, increased uh, what's called the SNAP benefits for people who need that. Uh, the the um, Supplementary, uh, su su Supplemental Nutrition, nutrition Assistance, assistance program, yeah. program, otherwise known as food stamps. So, right, right. so um, that has ended for all 50 states, although 18 states had ended their SNAP benefits earlier. Right, including by, Iowa. Including Iowa by declaring that uh, or, or negating their emergency declaration for COVID. I think Nebraska was the first one to go, and Governor Pete Ricketts declared that he wanted to show the rest of the country how to get back to normal. To heck with the poor people who might be struggling with food. Anyway, yeah. ouch. Yeah, and uh, and all of it is now being uh, being eliminated uh, uh, again, uh, you know, across the board. So, um, some data released last week by the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, though, have shown that uh, there's a 10% increase in food prices since this time in 2022. Yeah. So, each uh, SNAP benefit recipient will have about $90 less to spend on food and their food budgets are going up. So it's not looking good. Yeah, you know, some of uh, some of it's based on statistics. Some you can just see, I mean, check out food food banks. Mm -hmm. uh, having a hard time stocking shelves and at the same time uh, having, you know, ha having to turn people away. It's just, uh, it's not a good situation. And well, you know, these policies are gonna make it worse. The assumption that ending the benefit will get people 
off their couches and back to the jobs that people say they're having a hard time filling, that's not really panning out to be uh, the situation in truth. Uh, a lot of people are still home. Maybe they're giving unpaid assistance to people who are disabled or um, too young to care for themselves. So it's it's not the fact that everybody's going to get up and go back to work because they're no longer getting this assistance. Right. And there are even additional hurdles that some states have uh, either implemented or suggested to implement for people to qualify for the assistance in the first place. Raising the age from uh, uh, able-bodied adults between 18 to 49 who don't have children being required to work 20 hours a week. Uh, a bill spearheaded by uh, Representative Dusty Johnson from a Republican from South Dakota would raise that age requirement to 65. So raising the age from 49 to 65? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for, for SNAP benefits. Right. And, wow. Uh, okay. So, I, I mean, I, I don't know... I would love to see lawmakers live on the uh, the al- the allotment that SNAP benefits provide. I would like to see people especially try to adhere to the uh, resource limit. Some people call that the right. asset limit that is imposed. And that varies from state to state, it too, It does. Right? It does. They can be as high as, uh, it, it, supposedly high, as $5,000 of, of uh, liquid assets and uh, vehicle value per household. So if you think if you're not allowed That's high or low. That's supposed to be a that's a that's a that's a that's a high threshold to um, to wow. achieve. But uh, that means if one person in the house has a job and a vehicle to get to that job, a second person in that house who might need a vehicle to get to that job also uh, has to be careful that they they probably have one that doesn't run yeah. very well because it, you're getting a, in excess of five thousand dollars yeah. almost right away. I wonder there. if there's any any accommodation for those who might use uh, light rail or bus service or walk or bike to work. Silly question. Not that mind. I know. Of. <laughs> so what are some of the states uh, that are that are kind of trying to cut benefits? What what kind of foods are they removing from the list of available? Options. Right. That's a, in addition to reducing money, they're they're trying to reduce foods yeah. that uh, families can buy. So in in normal times, people can buy fruits, vegetables, meats, dairy, bread, cereals, um, some snack foods, non-alcoholic beverages. Uh, they can buy seeds and plants, which we think is great um, uh, for the you know to eat. But um, I would hope they could plant them too. Um, they're not been they've not been able to buy you know liquor and uh, uh, foods and for some reason foods that are hot at the point of sale, but hmm. Iowa uh, this year tried to introduce a bill it didn't go very far that would disallow SNAP benefit recipients from buying fresh meat, sliced cheese, bagged salad, carbonated beverages, and candy. Well, candy, I I kind of I mean if, if you're the not, kid and it's your turn to yeah, bring treats to school yeah, and you may not buy candy, I can see with I can see the argument there. What's the argument against fresh meat or sliced know. cheese? I don't know. Or salad. I mean, I just don't get that argument. Well, the whole thing is that in the U.S. we have a contradiction in how we think about food prices and availability. A lot of people think that food should be cheap and easily available. At the same time, some of those same people think that food is a luxury and it's uh, really too fancy for folks with lesser means. Well, well Kathy, thanks for joining us. Uh, folks, uh, thanks for being with us today. Thanks to our guest this week, Jeffrey Weiss. 
to my co-host Charles Goldman and to our production team of Sherry the Vampire Slayer Herdina, Forrest not to be confused with Gump Detterman, Dr. Charles Mr. Empathy Goldman, Kathy Happy Anniversary Honey Burns, and myself Ed the Recovering Politician Fallon. Thanks also to our local small business partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Western Optometry, and Dr. David Drake Family Psychiatry. Thanks also to our nonprofit partners, Iowa Physicians for Social Responsibility, Bold Iowa, Birds and Bees Urban Farm, and to the Des Moines Irish Session. Back again next week, folks, with another hour of Cutting Edge Talk Radio.